Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's the middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. It's the middle with Anthony Weiner. Good afternoon. I'm Anthony Weiner, and thank you for meeting me in the middle an hour every Saturday at 2 o'clock when we take some, stick, some steps away from the hot takes of the far left and the far right and try to bring some context to the news of the week or a subject that doesn't find its way into the middle of the conversation enough. And it's been a great week for me. I hope it's been a great one for you and for your family. Uh, this show can be heard every Saturday, as I said, from 2 to 3. The best way sometimes to get it is the WABCradio.com or you can download the app. You can always get it in the form of a podcast. This week we went and put everything in one place under the middle. Uh, you can get, I guess it's uh, populated on Spotify. Apple is halfway there. Google is starting to get populated. We're going to have every, every episode that we've had so far. You can find me on at Rep Wiener on Twitter. I'm not on there a heck of a lot. Or uh, Wiener, W-A-B-C at gmail.com. But the best way to get through to us is just to call up and say hello this show would not work without your participation, without you weighing in, without you giving us a little of your dose of common sense. Give us a call at 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. Avery, Diego, Matt, Pete, the gang will take care of you and make sure that you're uh, put on the air and that we can have a good conversation. So as I said, it's been an excellent week. The weather outside is just just perfect since we spoke last. Unfortunately, the Rangers. We're eliminated from the Stanley Cups. We're in the finals now. The Rangers, hey, they have a bright future. I would not count on 940 goaltending every year from Shesterkin, but he's going to be great. Their blue line looks great. Not sure that I'd be paying $8 million a year to Truba, but that's a whole other issue. But I think that they're going to have a bright future. But they went further this year. As I've said repeatedly the last several weeks, I have been surprised at how far they went, and they ran into a really, really good team. And we have a tendency in the Stanley Cup finals to get – some not great matchups, and this year it's amazing. This year you have the two-time defending champs coming up against an amazing team. And if you're not much of a hockey fan, and I know a lot of people are not, um, this is a good time maybe to check it out a little bit because you're going to see some figures on the ice that really are are just amazing. Um, Kel McCarr, defenseman who plays for the Colorado Avalanche is doing things on the ice that no defenseman has done in years. A good good uh, article about that in the New York Times today about the way he's transforming the game in a way that hasn't been seen since Bobby Orr in the 70s. You've got excellent goaltending on the, from the Lightning and just a, a really great structure on the Lightning side. And I have to tell you, you know, this it's going to be a great series. Game two is tonight. Um, also a fun, a fun week is spending some time with, with Jordan. He is now off from school. I talked to you about his graduation from elementary school or stepping up from elementary school. So we've been spending a lot of time together and he's going away to camp soon. So I think he senses it. I sense it. We've been, uh, um, um, and, and we've had this weird thing that we've bonded over recently and I don't really know. Well, I do know how to explain it. So he has been watching, um, stranger things, which I know if don't, don't don't call and say that it's inappropriate for him. And yesterday in the car we're driving, and I start singing the Kate Bush song "Running Up That Hill" at the top of my lungs, and he is looking at me in amazement. 
because he doesn't understand. He says, Daddy, how do you know this song? This is that moment where I am no longer the boomer or the old man shouting at clouds when he plays his music. This song is prominently featured like a lot of songs from the 80s are. This was from 1985. And so he has suddenly started to say to me, Daddy, can you play more songs from the Stranger Things uh, soundtrack? And now this is their fifth season, I think. So a lot of 1980s music that I can sing along with him. I'm not going to do it here, but, um, but that's really been great. So Jordan and I have been bonding over music from the 1980s. Um, also this week, I flip on the radio. I flip actually Fox Business. I know what you're saying. You're saying there is no way that Anthony Weiner watches Fox Business. Well, I happen to be watching Fox Business. And I have a question, an ethics question for all of you, my dear listeners. Is what happens when they say something about you on the radio or television, which happens to me a lot. And it's untrue, but it makes me look Better, not worse. Am I under some obligation to correct them? And it's not just anybody. Well, I'll love to play the clip, and then I'm going to explain to you my quandary. It's cut four. Biden has got to pull back here, John, and he doesn't seem like he wants to. He's going to bankrupt the country, Larry, if he doesn't pull back. And what has to be, all his people around him, Jay Powell, maybe Schumer, uh, you know, he could be a very common sense guy. He got 1,600 on his uh, SAT test. <laughs> uh, and uh, they should all... How did you know that? Uh, <laughs> him and Anthony Weiner. Oh, no, I don't want to go there. Okay. You know, I feel like that... What's that Will Smith line? Keep my name out of your... Uh, so, okay, here's the story with that. First of all, I have no idea how I landed in that conversation, but it's two of my favorite people, Lawrence Kudlow, John Katzmatiz, two of the smartest people I know. Um, the fact is, Wikipedia is correct. Chuck Schumer has got 1,600, a perfect score in his SATs. This is true. I worked for Chuck Schumer. He would mention it more times than was appreciated. It could be, and I'm not saying this is a fact. It could be I did not get 1,600 on my SATs. It could be I did not go to Harvard and Harvard Law School. It could be that I went to the Harvard of Clinton County, New York, Plattsburgh State University College of Arts and Sciences. And it could be I was not the A student at Brooklyn Tech that maybe John was. John and I both went to Brooklyn Tech. But I have to figure out whether I'm obligated under the rules of the FCC to demand that they clarify that, indeed, I only got like an 1100 or something. But one way or another, um, it was nice to be mentioned in that conversation. I don't think that Joe Biden is calling me for help. If he was, I would surely uh, give him that help because he clearly needs it because he is not doing terribly well. So what we like to do each week, go a few numbers from the week. Um, 94, this is something that Steve Moore just before me referenced. 94% of our fi- refinery capacity right now is being used. So one of the reasons gas prices is going up, actually, it's now accounts for more of the increase of the price even than the amount of the raw crude that goes into it. And um, Mr. Moore mentioned, you know, they've got to build more refineries or, well, wait a minute, why aren't they building refineries? You know, Steve said, well, we have to build more. What We, we are the United States citizens and we're the government. These uh, big oil companies are clearly not building more refineries because I'm not sure they don't mind not having any more refined product. Forty percent, that is the number that was announced this week, was the occupancy of our buildings around New York City. That is still way too low. It's up a little bit, 
but still way too low. It's estimated we've lost $600 million in tax revenue for unoccupied buildings here in New York City. This is a trend that's true all around the country. I agree with Mayor Adams. I agree with John Katzenbedidis. We have to get back into our offices. We have to start working in a more normal way. Another number, this one comes from the January 6th hearings. I did a whole episode last week about it where I tried to do it without mentioning the name Donald Trump at all, just kind of talk about some of the other elements of this. 250, 250 million dollars that was raised by organizations claiming to be fighting to stop the steal that were not dedicated to that at all, that none of the money actually went to an organization that really did do anything to litigate these cases or to or to try to overturn the election. It was basically went to political organizations from the people that started them. The reason that's relevant is because one of the things that may come out of these hearings is this notion of fraud, that people said things they know weren't true, but $250 million went from hard, hardworking Americans donated to an organization that they thought was to fix the election and, in fact, um, didn't go that way at all. And this is the best number of the week. This one, you, you've got to be sitting down or stand up and then sit down. 106. That is the number of immaculate innings that have been pitched in the history of Major League Baseball. 106. Now, an immaculate inning is what? Immaculate inning is when a pitcher retires the opposing side using only nine pitches, meaning they never make contact with the ball. It's called an immaculate inning. It's more uncommon than a no-hitter. So there have never in the history of Major League Baseball, and just to give you an idea, and, and there are 2,430 games each year in a 162-game season of a 30, 32 teams. It works out to about 220,000 games in the history of Major League Baseball. There has never been two immaculate innings uh, in one game, ever. Never has been two immaculate in one day, ever. On Wednesday... The Houston Astros played the Texas Rangers. Not only were there two immaculate innings that game, in the second inning and the seventh inning, but the same three players struck out. Now, I I don't know, do we, if we, for next week, I'm going to have my mind-blown, whatever, uh, tape set up that maybe Diego can play. But just think about that for a minute. Never has there been two in the same day. On Wednesday of this week, there was two in the same exact game, and the same three players went down on nine pitches. It will I, I can guarantee you this. This will never happen again so long as any of us are around to see it. Um, and unfortunately, people don't watch baseball anymore, and if they do, they're certainly not watching a midday game on Wednesday, Houston, Texas. But that is the most amazing number of the week for sure. But on much more serious matters, another number that emerged this week is we passed the city budget. $101 billion budget, that sounds like a lot because it is a lot. What was not in it, no no new money for the NYPD. Their, their budget was flat. 578 correction officers that had been proposed by the mayor um, were not in there. There was a $38 billion allocation for schools. We are a big school system. We have 1,000 some odd school buildings, over a million school kids. But that represented a cut of $215 million from last year. Um, now, the mayor says, well, that's because there are fewer kids. And he's right. There are 120,000 fewer kids than there were because a lot of kids left during COVID and didn't come back. 
That represents a 0.568% cut. I did that math too. Class sizes, a good, a good, one of the good things about 120,000 fewer kids is the class size is smaller. Now, this started something of a, I guess, something of a war of words. Oh, that's kind of excessive. I mean, look, what happened is a handful of members, one, two, uh, Alexa Villas, Chiose, Charles Barron, Sandy Nurse, Tiffany Caban, and Kristen Richardson, kind of the more progressive members of the city council, voted no. And one of the reasons they voted no is they didn't like the education cut. That's their prerogative. They, they can do that. Um, as a result, or maybe not as a result, maybe as a coincidence, when there's this big tranche of money that the speaker gives out or allocates to different members for their districts, for organizations in their districts, the Little League, the, the Knitting Club, the Civic Association, those members did not get allocations as other members did. And it started out as basically, you know, a conversation, well, wait a minute, we were cut out, that's so unfair. People were saying, well, that's totally fair. But it got elevated when AOC, who we all know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Congresswoman from the Bronx and Queens, um, she weighed in. We don't have taper for weighing in, but we do have a description of it. And that's in um, in cut one. When Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez posts something, people see it. She's got 13 million followers on Twitter, eight and a half million on Instagram. And that's where she wrote what dirty politics looks like and what kind of leader defunds a boys and girls club. The target of these posts, not national Republicans, but Democratic New York City Council Speaker Adrian Adams. All right. So just to reset the table, the city council passes a budget. There are um, the budget passes with one, two, three, four, six, six progressive members voted no because they didn't like some of the things in the budget. The speaker um, zeroes out some things that they wanted in the budget. We're not in there. AOC weighs in and says, that's outrageous. That's dirty politics. And Adrian Adams, who is the new speaker of the city council, no relation to Mayor Adams, responds by saying this. Some federal elected officials forget that a city is not managed through Twitter or social media. And that's a zippy comeback. I like it. It's, you know, basically stop tweeting at me. That's not the way we get things done. But I just want to make a larger point about that. And when we come back from the break, um, I'm going to talk about something else. But just I want people to understand that that, you know, compromise gets incentivized in a legislature. You want to compromise with your colleagues because you have to work with them. You want to compromise with your colleagues um, because you want to have things that you you want to pass things that you care about. And sometimes you compromise on something that maybe you're not so crazy about. That kind of incentivization helps get legislation passed, helps get budgets passed. There is no dishonor in voting no, on the other hand. If you don't – if you feel really strongly about something, you want to vote no on it, that's fine. But – the easiest thing to do, particularly when you're dealing with a budget, the easiest vote on earth is a no. Because you can always say, I wanted more of that. I wanted more education. Or I wanted more for police. Or I wanted more for this local thing. Or something that you don't like didn't get cut enough. I wanted a 10% cut. They only cut it 8%. It's the easiest vote on earth. But I think what Adrian Adams and what the speaker was saying, in addition to don't do this on social media, it's like this is the way politics and government operates. The city council benefits by having a strong speaker that can then go in and negotiate a deal that doesn't necessarily satisfy everyone. And so she is elected by her colleagues 
to be the one that goes and gives out things to help make the world go around, to help make these deals happen. And so what to, for AOC uh, to then jump in and say, oh, this is dastardly, this is evil politics. No, it is what legislating is is all about. And when we get back, I want to use this as a jumping off point to have a conversation with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Now, not really a conversation, but we're going to listen to something that she has to say. And if you are like me, it's the first time I've ever listened to anything at length that she said, and I would then want to talk about it. It's great to have you here on The Middle every Saturday from 2 to 3. We have a great show for you. And then a little later, Left versus Right with Curtis Lee at 3 o'clock. And who knows, maybe even coming out of one of these breaks, Jordan will listen because I'll be playing one of his favorite songs. We'll be right back on the other side. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Finding new ways to make change. Reaching across the aisle to work with both sides. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. Kate Bush from 1985. If you ask Jordan, it came out yesterday. But um, welcome back to The Middle. I'm Anthony Weiner. Thank you so much for being here. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. You can always find us on wabcradio.com. You can download the app, or you can get it anytime on the Red Apple Podcast Network. That is the best place. You can subscribe there. That has all of the show notes and um, also has some teases on what we're going to have in the future. So we're talking a little bit about the New York City budget, and I mentioned about how Adrian Adams got into a little – she's the speaker who got into a little dust-up because AOC – Tweeted about it. No, it's funny. She actually said something on Instagram stories. She has 14 million followers on Twitter, 8 million on, on Instagram. Roughly, what what is that? Like Diego, that's about a third of our audience, right? Yeah, she is, so she's catching up. But so I was trying to find the, the, the quote where she says these things about the budget. I didn't know that she said it in a text form. And so... I did something I have never done before, despite the fact that I'm in politics and I'm a Democrat, and despite the fact that she's a fascinating figure that gets mentioned a lot on these airwaves. I had never really kind of listened very much to AOC. And then what I did is I found myself looking for this quote, li- listening to some of her stuff. And my, th- my theory that I want to share with you and I want to hear your feedback is that part of the challenge that we have here is that AOC is really not in the same business as Mayor Adams or as Speaker Adams or as Chuck Schumer or as President Biden or as a lot of folks, that she's in a different firmament in the political dialogue. And so I found one clip that kind of explains what I mean. And it's not to be it's not to be critical. I think there's enormous things about her that I find very admirable. And I have to tell you, so this is it's going to be a long clip by the by, by what we usually do. It's going to be about a minute and 11 seconds. And I want you to listen fairly carefully because when you come back, I'm going to have some observations, and then I want to hear what you all have to say about it on 800-848-WABC. So let's go to cut three, and it's it's a little long, but let's go ahead. Increasing police officers does not do anything. More money to policing does not do anything. Just if it did, it would have by now. And we have teachers who are not even making a living or a dignified wage some of whom have sold their blood plasma in order to make things meet, make ends meet. 
and they are now sacrificing their lives for the chance of possibly saving their students' lives. And where are we talking about putting resources first? Not them, not in healthcare, not anywhere else, but in the place that already has the most resources that have yielded the least amount of change? Come on. Just because both parties can agree that that this is something that they love putting more and more money in, no matter how much data tells you that this doesn't do anything, that this doesn't move the needle significantly, because the issues and, and the ability to actually address the root issues is too politically fraught because of what? Because of money? All right. So there's a lot there. And I'm we're we're now reviewing the history books here at ABC. We think that might be the longest cut of AOC ever played on these airwaves. There is a lot there, but in all seriousness, I want to talk a little bit about it. It, it, it because I think it shows a little bit of a lot of things about her that are sometimes contradictory. First of all, if you heard the sound was the sound quality wasn't great, and you heard the cargo words go, is because she sat down. It looked like her living room and just recorded this on her phone. And she spoke for almost an hour, I think, without notes and clearly passionately and clearly. And she had – and there, are, like I said, there are a lot of people that follow her every day. She can't be ignored. There's something really important and relevant that she's involved in. But I, w- I want to make a distinction between the substantive things that she says and the aspirations that she claims to speak for. You know, she starts out, well, we – we shouldn't be funding police because that doesn't do anything. If it would have been helpful, it would have already shown to have been, like if it would have already. Well, in the 1990s, when we passed the COPS program in Washington and fund hundreds of thousands of police officers, I was a sponsor of that. When we passed Safe Street, Safe City under David Dinkins, that was implemented by Mayor Giuliani, crime went down. You can say that, all right, it's not the be-all and end-all, and I've, I've said that on these airwaves. But this notion, factually speaking, is not right. But she then quickly goes into the the choice between funding cops and funding teachers and then says some interesting things that are not entirely true. Like she says, we're funding cops and we're, we're not funding teachers and we're not funding healthcare. You know, we're funding those things. You might not like the way we're doing it or might think that we should do more. And that's a legitimate thing to say. But if you're someone who's listening to AOC and many people are using her as a source for their information, you might think that we're taking away from health care to give to teacher to cops. We, have much, we spend much more in health care in this country by far than we do cops, much more in teachers than we do on cops. So they're factually not correct. But the thing that struck me is when she says, and why are we doing these things? Just because both parties agree? Well, Yes. That's called legislating. That's called governing. When both parties agree on something and you reach an accommodation on something, you reach an agreement on something, and what she seems to be implying is, no, we should not do that because I, AOC, who represents a minority position that doesn't support those things, you should use what we do, do what we want. That's not the way this works. But I said there are admirable and important things. And if you want to get in on this, please, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. This is not just a bash AOC thing because I'm going to conclude on, on, on ultimately what I think is the important point here. She then concludes by saying that, that why don't we talk about these other things because of money? Well, yes, but 
I would summarize what she says is that we should aspire to do some things differently where money is that is not that important a consideration, where other things are, are considered. I think these are all admirable things. And what it gets back to is I realized that when I was looking for her, a quote from her to be able to play against Adrian Adams to, to highlight this conflict over what's going on in the city council, that Adri- uh, uh, um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is not in the same business. She's not there to legislate. She's not there to find compromise. She's not there to try to, to get half a loaf. She's chosen to take a different route that is equally important in a democracy. It is equally important to say, you know what? I, I want it to be different. I want it to be better. I want us to aspire to higher things. I want my view to – I want my followers to get more of this or less of that. That's totally okay, but don't kid yourself. And I say this to the listeners. I say this to my colleagues on, on, on 77 WABC, the best news talk and radio in the country. When people talk about her as the unseen hand in the Democratic Party, as the power behind the throne, is what is dictating what happens in our country, ladies and gentlemen, it's just not the case. She is, by and large, a very important, very articulate, very, I would argue, powerful but not in the political structure, not in the governing structure of our country. Um, she is someone that speaks aspirationally, and that's fine. She's a poet. She's a, a, an artist. She's a performance artist. And she cares very deeply. And I agree with her on a lot of stuff she says. But when she weighs in on the governance of the city and says, oh, don't do that. It's evil. You're like a – she's not – I would just say to you that she's not really participating. And I think that's what Adrian Adams was getting at. It's more than just giving a speech. It's sitting down and doing the hard work. If you really do believe that putting more money in for police is a mistake and there are other programs, then you go and you fight to have those things included in the budget. You don't get everything you want. You take your lumps and you go, now, the progressives won the fight, in my view, on cops because it wasn't increased as I think it should have been. They won the fight on correction officers. They just didn't win everything. And so... I found it fascinating listening to her. I would really encourage you to do it. But if you, for those of you who see her as this boogeyman, the, that the AOCs are taking over the country, no. Though the, her candidates have not won elections for statewide office. They haven't won elections for president. They haven't really won that many elections locally. And when they have, there's six of them. <laughs> there's six of them. And... That's not a good thing or a bad thing. I'm just saying that it is not. she is not the power that many people believe she are. She, she is. So that's my experience with AOC. It, it is not all one thing. She's, not, she's a fascinating person. I really actually enjoyed listening to it, but it was clear, and I hope that that one clip that we played brought it out a little bit. Now I'd like to go to some, some calls, and, and let me just, just stipulate to this. Like you can say that you don't like her politics, and that's fine, and I'll defend her politics because I think she's got some interesting things to say. But one thing I want you to think about is, is she all that powerful? And what do you think, you know, do we sometimes pay too much attention to the AOCs of the world and that woman green who's Meshuggah and Gates and these other people who aren't really legislating? They're just making a lot of noise. But let's go to some calls. Some folks have been waiting for a while. Um, First, uh, let's go to James in the city. James, what do you have to say about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez? Well, first, I'm glad to hear that you are demystifying her and, and saying she's not a boogeyman like the the right makes her out to be and of course i think it's 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 an uh, she's very intelligent and you can tell by the clip that she played that she cares and that she's 
smart and has her people, you know, people's interests in mind, unlike someone who I think is a complete psychopath and moron like um, like um, uh, Green. But what I want to say about the police is, you know, the, the left. No one, no one with the brain on the left wants to defund the police. I think they want to reform the police, and I and I would challenge your facts. They get way, way too much um, money, not just from New York City, but municipalities all over the United States. After 9/11, they all went, and the very powerful police unions got them all kinds of pensions. And meanwhile, if you, most cops, I think you would agree, vote Republican, and they think that socialism is, you know, like Nazism. Meanwhile, a police officer is the definition of someone who benefits from socialism. They have great starting salaries, tons of overtime, uh, amazing pensions, pensions that no one else gets, great health care service, and yet they can't wrap their head around the fact that, that you know, that, that, that this is all that people like Margie Keller Green want you know a fair shake for everyone like the cops are getting and i do think that compared to cops other people like healthcare workers and and teachers don't get as much money well james you thank you very much for calling call us again you've given us a lot to chew on you know for for one thing um while it is true that in the in the period after 9 11 there were a lot of anti-terrorism programs and things like that still nothing in the municipal level comes anywhere close to the funding that we put in for education uh, I think that I mean, look, we have always had this notion about law enforcement, uh, law enforcement, because of the risk that they take. That one of the ways we were going to pay them is not by giving them an amazing salary, but but giving them good benefits. By the way, that's the same path that we took with a lot of municipal workers. My mom, the school teacher for thirty-two years, didn't get didn't get a crazy big salary, but because she got excellent benefits, she's she's doing doing okay today. But let me just just say this. The socialism thing really does get thrown around an enormous amount, and you know, one of these days, maybe I'll I'll do these in the, do this in the coming week. I don't know what people sometimes mean when they say socialism. I mean, the one the, you know is social security socialism to tax workers to give to senior citizens, and then when it's time for you to retire, you get the benefit of that as well. Is that socialism? I I, I don't know, but I think it's thrown around a great deal. But you're right. That I believe AOC is smart. I believe she's committed and she cares a lot. I don't agree with her on everything, but but she she certainly certainly does. Um, listen, we have to go to a break. When we come back. A, a lot of people are are, are eager to have even someone on the board saying that AOC is an evil person. Something I don't think I'm going to buy into. You're listening to the middle every Saturday between two and three on the 77 ABC News and Talk. It's great to have you along. And when we come back, more of your calls. Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's The Middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. It's The Middle with Anthony Weiner. And welcome back to The Middle, where an hour on every Saturday we take a break in the middle of the day and we take some steps away from the hot takes of the left and right, try to get a little more context today. We're talking about kind of a meta conversation about what it means to govern, what it means to be politically powerful in America. We're going to get to the calls in a second. I want to give you a heads up about a podcast that I am working on that perhaps you all can be of help with. It's called Keys to the City. It's ideas that I've had over the course of my time in government where we take an idea. It doesn't have to be... An earth-shaking idea it doesn't have to be one that would would you know 
cure cancer or put a man on the moon, but just some sometimes you walk down the street, you say, boy, there ought to be a law. If you have an idea like that, something you've always been thinking about we should have in the city, send me an email, wienerwabc at gmail.com, wienerwabc at gmail.com. We're pro- producing some of these now, and I'd be eager to hear your ideas. The listeners to this show always have some interesting ones. We're going to go back to the phones. We're talking about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. As I said, we're trying to push away from the far left and the far right. But I do think it, that she deserves analysis. I do believe that she's worth paying attention to, just not for the reason that sometimes people do. So next up is Max in Manhattan. Max, go ahead today. Yes. Um, Anthony, thank you, for, thank you for taking my call. Um, now, I, she, I agree she's smart. She's cute. She has, she's personable. But when she starts to talking about defunding the police, that is asking for BLM to make more summer riots. I didn't hear you go against that statement of hers. Are you against that? Well, she didn't say defund the police, but you didn't hear me say I, I, I said at the very top, I, I defended I, the very first thing I rebutted is the idea that hiring new police, do, more police don't help. And I said that I was the sponsor of the cops program when I was in Congress to have federal dollars pay for these police. You know, the defund the police thing's a little bit. I don't know if anyone says that anymore, but I think the argument she was making in this long thing and members in the course of like an hour was her saying, we keep putting money into police. It doesn't work. We should put money other places. But no, I, I certainly don't. I believe I'm, I'm disappointed in the passing of the budget because I thought there should be more money in the city budget for it. Last week, I suggested that we we start uh, we do a safe street, safe city program when I was talking to, to, to uh, Joe Borelli. So I don't believe that. Anthony, that's a, that's a euphemism on her part. No, I, I think she, she didn't she didn't speak euphemistically. She said literally. She said I she didn't think that we should put more money into the police. Now the budget yeah, I, I don't know what you're getting at, Max. I agree with you. I I keep saying that I agree with you. She wants less money for the police and more money for other things. Okay. But that when you say you want less money for the police, that's it that's a nice little way of sweet sweet sugarcoating it as saying defund the police. Well, that's fair, I guess. I mean, defund, I take to be, okay, uh, you, we, you and I are arguing semantics now. Yes, yeah, she wants less funding for the police. By the way, I will say this, every agency in all of government, including the NYPD, you can find waste and you can find you know things that you can cut. But I believe what we should be doing, if you want to know what my opinion is, my opinion is that not only that hiring police officers have shown more police officers mean less crime. It might not be there are no other influences on that statistic, but it definitely has been proven to work. And I appreciate your calling, Max. Uh, call us again soon. Uh, Gene in Brooklyn, go ahead, Gene. Yes, Mr. Weiner, how are you? I am well, I thank you. Three points. Well, everybody wants to defund the police. What about Brig? What are we going to do with him? Why don't you do your other two points, since I hope they're better than that one. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Number two is we, we do a lot of talking, the right side, the left side. Nobody talks about God and capitalism. How come? All right, you're uh, you're, you're you're gaining some steam. What was your third point? <laughs> <laughs> I got some good traction. Huh? <laughs> well, let, let me just listen. I, I appreciate the call. I mean, let me take the the second. God and there's not a lot of capitalism in the Bible. If there's anything, there's less. There's not a lot of capitalism in the Torah. That's not not that there are not some. It talks about exchanging goods for services and the like, but. Fundamentally, capitalism is a uh, is a um, a concept that I think governs economies. I think God is a concept that governs our lives and our morality. 
As far as the Steve on the police thing, we got to dial it down a little bit, guys. I, no one is saying – I mean, perhaps the previous caller was, was trying to make this point, that any time you propose any cuts in the police department, does that mean you believe in defunding the police? I remember there were people, not a lot of them, and not anyone in government, the best I can remember, who said, forget about this. We have too many instances of, of, of police misconduct, cut their funds – and police departments, et cetera, like, you know, dramatically change the way that we approach these things. No one in power in either the Democratic or Republican Party has said defund the police. I mean, OK, no, no, well, I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't say that no one in power in, in power uh, in the in the in the in the in legislatures that mean anything. I mean, you can have a city councilman in Portland might might say it. But she does believe we put too much money into police and not enough money into other things. That's not revolutionary. People say that. That's not so crazy. Now, I believe, if, I, if my belief matters here, because a couple, you know, I believe we should, now is the time when crime is high that we should invest more in our police department. Um, uh, uh, next up is Suzanne in Washington Heights. Go ahead, Suzanne. Oh, hello, Anthony. Good to have you back. Thank you. Thank you. I like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She's like a pipe that chases the car around the pool. That's what she's there for, like keeps these things in the public eye. You know what I mean? I think that's her job. For it. You see what I mean? I didn't understand the metaphor, but yes, I see exactly what you mean, and I agree with you. I think that it's important to have people who are on the left and the right who are not necessarily getting their hands dirty by doing the legislating and making the compromise, who say, I will not compromise. This is the position that I have. I think those people are valuable. Now, sometimes they're intellectually honest and sometimes that they're not. Um, but I think that I, 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 I think that they're valuable. But I, I mean, I, 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 I just don't want anyone to confuse her with someone making laws <laughs> or someone making policy or someone making presidents, for example, which sometimes I hear people saying. Jason and Summit, I referred to your call earlier. Jason, you have a very different view of AOC. Fire away. Hey, man. How are you, Anthony? I am well, Jason. How are you doing today? Okay. Anthony, listen, I like you. I like your program. Nothing against you, okay? But listen, I stick very firm. I don't know how could you say that AOC, I mean, is smart. I mean, the woman basically, you know, she she's evil, Anthony. I mean, she's very ungodly. She hates the Jews. She hates Israel. She doesn't want people to work, you know, to live off the government. And basically, she even hates the cops. So, you know, the thing is, I just hope that the voters that they wake up and, you know, hopefully, you know, vote her out. Well, let me just say that. I mean, look, uh, we have to temper our language a little bit. She's wrong on Israel, in my view. I don't know enough to say that she's anti-Semitic. I will say that she's wrong on Israel, very wrong in Israel. I believe that I disagree with her on her idea of how we should spend our tax dollars. I believe that we should hire more cops. She believes we should hire fewer. Saying that someone is evil because they disagree with a position that I have on government is, is not what I believe in. I believe this show is about the idea that I've had Republicans on, more Republicans than Democrats, in fact, Republicans on, and we disagree and we have debates and the world goes around that way. And that's what makes that's what makes ABC work. That's what makes John Katzmatidis someone who is likes to have common sense on both sides. I think it, saying someone is evil because they disagree with you. Now, the anti-Semitism part, 
I, there are people in there. There are people I I trust. I'll who who know her. I have never met her in my life, um, but I know that she's she's. I disagree with her strongly uh, about Israel. Um, next, let's go to Steve in Central Jersey. Steve, go ahead, bud. Hey, Anthony. Thanks for taking the call. My pleasure. I agree with you. A- AOC is not there to make laws. She is essentially, in my opinion, she's essentially there as a pretty mouthpiece for the radical left that is essentially running the Democratic Party, Bernie Sanders, George Soros. Now, before you get there and answer, before you answer my question, this is a two-part, right? We'll, we'll have a little fun. I've, for now four years, been referring to AOC and the squad as the fools on the hill. So when you, when you respond, can you tell me the significance of that, the fools on the hill, especially as today? It's a song title. Uh, what's the significance of that today? Go ahead. You respond to what I said. I appreciate you letting me respond. It's my show. I, t- I decide when I get to respond. But I appreciate it. I, I think fools on the hill, it's a, isn't it a Beatles song, I want to say? I don't, right, I, don't, signi- I don't know. I don't know. I should get my brother-in-law. He's the Beatles guy in the family. But, let, but Steve, let me just ask you, since we're asking each other questions here, you know, why do you say she's controlling the party? Who did she support for president? No, no, no. She, she's not controlling. Uh, oh. you, you misunderstood. I'm sorry. She is uh, George. Uh, what, what helped her get elected was that she got behind Bernie Sanders. I don't know if you're following that five years ago. They they funded her. They I, I believe I believe she. OK, my, this is my foot. She was able to get on the good side of Bernie Sanders, George Soros. That's the radical left. I, I put that pin them as the radical left. that's run essentially running that party. That OK, that's how and she got elected. You're saying you got elected, but but they put her out there. They figure put a pretty girl out there because let's face it, Bernie, uh, Bernie and George don't look so good. Who's uh, they? So good. Huh? Who's they? What's that? You say they Excuse put her me? out there. They got her to run. You, you don't. You believe no, that they didn't just... get her to run. They, they they didn't know her from a hole in the wall until she until she took down Crowley. Okay. All right. Okay, let me just uh, – I'll, I'll I'll finish. By the way, Fool on the Hill, Paul McCartney turns 80 today, okay? Ah, okay. There you go. He, he, okay. So let me do it. Steve, listen, I appreciate your calling. Please call us again. I mean, look, the problem with the mythology of, like, they put her – she did – no, no. She won an election against my friend Joe Crowley, who, by the way – didn't see it coming, didn't prepare for it, was spending a lot of time in Washington, lived in Washington, didn't, you know, whose district had changed, was a majority-minority uh, a district, you know, was kind of a weird situation. You had a white Irish, fairly conservative Democrat representing a majority-minority district. She snuck up on him. She took him out. She is arguably, you know, she's right up there with Bernie in terms of influence in the party. Bernie got squashed when he ran for president. When the progressives ran and ran and ran further and further to the left in the Democratic primary in 2020, it was the guy, Joe Biden, who says, no, I'm a more moderate guy. I mean, I just don't buy this notion that the Democratic Party is run by her. You know who sells that notion? People that want to scare you into thinking that she represents the mainstream of the party. She doesn't. She's never won anything. And listen, I appreciate these misconceptions exist because they've been fed to us for so long. But uh, here on The Middle, we try to get away from those fringe arguments back to The Middle. And when we come back, we'll have a few more calls. And then at 3 o'clock, Curtis Lee will comes in for Left versus Right. It's so great to have you here on The Middle. See you on the other side. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Finding new ways to make change. Reaching across the aisle to work with both sides. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC.
Welcome back to The Middle. I'm Anthony Weiner. What's Jordan going to do when he realized that boomers made this music? I mean, he calls me a boomer all the time, and now he's got a favorite song. That's from 1985. Every Saturday, 2 to 3, here on The Middle, we try to kind of find the middle. We try to meet each other in the middle. We try to go right into the middle of an issue, and this has been a good one today as we're talking about kind of a meta conversation. And let me just say this. Uh, a couple of people texted me about this. Can we stop saying she's pretty? I mean, I want to add, you know, we have a bunch of men calling in referring to her as pretty. It's just not, I mean, it's the misogyny of it is kind of showing here. Um, you know, no one ever says, Anthony, we shouldn't listen to him because he's handsome. Could be no one actually is saying that I'm handsome. But putting that aside, let's uh, let's do a little bit of less of that. We're talking about AOC, and it seems like we're reaching close to a point where people are, starting to call in and say, listen, there are things I disagree with her about, but I'm trying to also get away from this idea that she has a great deal of influence. Let's see if John in Queens agrees. John, go ahead, buddy. Thank you for calling. Are you there, John? We lost John. We lost John. Um, Let's go to Tom in Connecticut. Tom? Uh, Hi, Mr. Wiener. I was just wondering about your description of AOC's job. You say she's not there to make laws. Isn't that the job? Of someone in Congress? Not, any, not anymore, it's not. Are you kidding? How many members of Congress go seem to be going to Congress just to appear on Fox News or MSNBC and make pronouncements? How many people seem to be there just to get more followers? How many people seem to be there just to make a point? I got to tell you, no, increasingly, if I had to say one observation for my time being on Capitol Hill from the mid-80s when I was a staffer to, uh, to, the, to 2011 when I was forced to resign— If I would say there was one observation I would have about the change that took place is that the number of people that went to Washington because they wanted to figure out ways to make laws and make policy, that number had dramatically, dramatically declined. And if you don't believe me, just take a look at the statistics. How many fewer laws get passed each year, each year, year by year? There were, you know, when when there was a reference to the do-nothing Congress, they passed three times as many laws as were passed in the last Congress. So th- that's what I'm saying, Tom. I'm, I'm saying that, that I think that she does not see herself as someone who is going to go out. Even you take her signature thing, the Green New Deal, right? Has that turned into a lawmaking effort? Not really. I mean, it's great for speeching and it's great for going out and, and trying to influence other people to make legislation and to raise money for people and to go go give speeches at their campaign rallies. But as far as the hard work of making law, because making law requires compromise. And if you go back and, and you go to the Red Apple Podcast Network where I did an episode on immigration, lawmaking around immigration is not hard, but it requires people being willing to compromise. And she doesn't see herself as being in that business. Do you agree, Tom? No, I don't agree. I- I'm not saying what she sees as her job, what her job is, what this job was created for was to create laws. That hasn't been changed as far as I'm aware, has it? You're saying her job is to go represent herself and to get famous on YouTube and Twitter? I'm saying that when you look at how, I mean, the the job of a member of Congress is not defined in the Constitution. I mean, in, in the broadest sense, there are some of its responsibilities that you've got to do, but it doesn't say how you carry out that job. And she would make the argument if she was sitting, are you kidding? I have so much influence because when I give a, send out a tweet, 18 million people see it and they write their congressman or they go tell their friends. There are different ways to do the job. Look, the best example of this I've ever seen, and I'm biased, is Chuck Schumer. 
Chuck Schumer goes to Washington. He's one of the he's a lawmaker. He comes up with compromise and then he goes home on Sundays and does press conferences about the helicopter noise on the on the east side of Manhattan. One of those is inside the building. One of those is outside. And he would always argue to me when I would have these conversations. He said, listen, there's many different ways that you can pursue this job. You can, and, and the best members of Congress, the best senators, are the people that do the balance of inside work, the real difficult job of compromising, of writing laws, of coming up with language and trying to figure out what the right thing, and outside people who try to influence public opinion. There's no – you go look in the Constitution. It doesn't say that the way she's doing her job is wrong. I'm saying that her job description, the way she views it, is very different than perhaps I would. That's why I wanted to be a mayor, because I wanted to be involved in the job of actually making these tough decisions, being unpopular for making them, coming up with compromises that everyone can live with, but no one was completely happy with. That's the point I'm making. But, I mean, look, I I, I don't – you can make the judgment if you want that – the quality of the type of lawmaker that AOC is compared to the type of lawmaker that picks someone, I don't know, Jerry Nadler, the chairman of a committee, that that these are two different ways of pursuing the job. I think there's some value to both, but I think there's far too many, I would say, of the AOC approaches in Congress nowadays. I mean, I, I, I really do believe that. Um, next, let me hear from Billy in Long Island City. Billy, thank you so much for calling. I met AOC about three and a half years ago. She stared me down and gave me a dirty look when she was walking past me. And she's got the most evil eyes of any human being I ever met in my life. All right. You know, she, and, and she's not, you know, I'm not saying she's unattractive. She's not hard looking. I don't think all, right, all, right. like, so, oh. all right. Let me just summarize. Let me just summarize Billy's call for, uh, for the rest of us. She gave him a dirty look, and she's not, she's somewhat attractive. All right. You see, this is the kind of stuff. I don't know. Sometimes I wonder, do we hear ourselves when we make these come, how it must sound? We should have, you know, we should, how it must sound. It sounds like you're not taking the conversation seriously. That's that's what I would say. Uh, it sounds like Harry is, though. Harry and Freehold, thank you for calling in. Yes. Anthony, are you there? I am. OK. You were talking about um, AOC earlier and as far as whether she's evil or not. And I just want to say that my opinion is any policy that leads to the death of innocent people is evil. Okay. I, okay. Now you can take that pretty broadly. So anyone who votes in favor of sending our troops to war, then. Defund the police. No, we, the death of innocent people, that is evil. I hear you. Well, listen, Harry, you're going to get the last word on that. Uh, have a great day, buddy. It sounds like you, you could use it. This has been a great conversation. Thank you very much for joining us. On the other side of the break, Curtis Lee comes in, my friend, and he is going to be uh, joining us for Left versus Right. We're going to go over everything that happened in gubernatorial politics this week and much more. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been great. This is- 